Likely no media in recent memory, especially a piece of all-ages Western media, has presented elements of traditional storytelling and culture as effectively as Avatar, The Last Airbender. The series shows influence from a variety of primarily Asian cultures, histories, and mythologies. And while some of these elements are visible at a first glance, others only become clear with a closer look. Viewing the series through this lens will show the real-world parallels to the concept and story of the Avatar, the real-world practices that inspired Avatar's element-bending system, and the real-world mythological and religious stories which are represented in this work. Heads up, there will be some spoilers. Now, this is a very special episode. We haven't done one like it before. It is to celebrate 1,000 subscribers. If you're new here and you're interested in learning more about real-world mythologies and cultures and religions, then go ahead, check out the rest of our videos. Give a sub. Otherwise, maybe enjoy a nice cup of tea, sit back, as we study mythology and culture in Avatar, The Last Airbender. My name is Sean. Welcome to Mythos and Logos. A quick recap for anyone not familiar. Avatar, The Last Airbender takes place in a world where certain people, known as benders, are able to control one of the four classical elements being water, earth, fire, and air. Each element is represented by a nation, with it being the role of the Avatar, the only person able to master all four elements to keep peace between them. The main conflict of the series begins when the current Avatar, a boy named Aang, disappears, and the Fire Nation declares a war on the rest of the world. Caught up? Good. While today we might use the word avatar, most often thinking of an online profile picture, the word is in fact much more ancient. The Sanskrit word avatarana, the basis of the English word avatar, is thousands of years old. Having been used in the Hindu tradition, to describe the form taken by a god descending to earth. For example, Krishna, already familiar to fans of our Bhagavad Gita episode, or fans of George Harrison, is an avatar of the god Vishnu, one form in which he descends to earth. However, in the world of the last airbender, the avatar is actually more reminiscent of a Buddhist concept, known as a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is, in Mahayana Buddhism, someone who has attained the perfect knowledge of enlightenment, which allows one to be free from the cycle of reincarnation, yet freely chooses to return to Earth in order to help others reach enlightenment. The Dalai Lama is a real-world example of this with the current Lama, named Tenzin Gyatso, believed to be the 14th incarnation of the Tibetan spiritual leader, in a line traditionally held to go back even farther to the time of the original Buddha. 
Aang is actually discovered to be the Avatar when he recognizes objects which belonged to his previous incarnation, the same process which is used in determining whether a suspected child is the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. As the airbender's nomadic lifestyle, their names, their dress, and their troubled history also often mirror those of Tibet. The real-world roots of the Avatar serve as a perfect jumping-off point into the series' other influences found in our world. Each of the four elements has a specific style to its bending or manipulation, each based on a real-world martial art, with each element reflecting an aspect of its real-world counterpart. Waterbending uses the flowing motions of Tai Chi, using the flow of water to illustrate a flow of spiritual energy, traditionally known in Chinese culture as Qi, in its real-world counterpart. Likewise, the light and circular movements of Bagua Zhang, traditionally a meditative martial art, are used defensively in airbending, matching well with the air nomads' tradition of pacifism. One reason that these martial arts styles match their fictional personalities so well is that they are primarily internal martial arts. Internal martial arts, as opposed to external, are more focused on meditation, the cultivation of qi energy, and the internal growth of the practitioner and are less focused on combat. These internal martial arts find their counterparts in external martial arts, those which place a greater emphasis on combat and self-defense. The Hunga style, the real-world inspiration for earthbending, is an example of a martial art which traditionally has both internal and external aspects practitioners spending months to years perfecting stances before eventually moving on to strikes. And while this shows in the defensive aspects of earthbending, the century of war which has torn apart the earth kingdom has led to their practice focusing more on Hunga's external aspects, specifically in powerful and focused strikes. However, unquestionably the most external of Avatar's martial arts is firebending, based in the northern Shaolin style of Kung Fu. The firebenders' strong and explosive strikes speak to their warlike culture, with only the more spiritually inclined firebenders like Iroh able to practice the original and much more flowing style taught to humanity by dragons. Other elements of real-world cultures and practices are present in Avatar as well. Aang struggles with a blocked chakra, which is a focus point of energy rooted in Hindu tradition, which has spread to a number of practices through Buddhism and eventually made its way to the West. In Avatar, this once again relates to the traditional Chinese understanding of qi energy, as the character Tai Li 
is able to strike specific points on opponents' bodies to block the flow of chi and remove their bending ability. Katara, who serves as a foil to Tai Li in this sense, masters water bending as a type of healing, using motions found in the relatively modern practice of Reiki, which is based on the classical understanding of chi, aiming to balance and aid in its flow. And while these examples show the practical elements of traditional culture in the show, we will also see elements of traditional mythological storytelling which influenced the series. The world of Avatar The Last Airbender is home to a number of fantastic creatures with mythological significance, as well as events which mirror traditional stories. Of Avatar's creatures, the dragon is likely the most recognizable. Iroh, for instance, is called the Dragon of the West, a title which is clearly appropriate when one considers the characteristics associated with Chinese dragons. Unlike their greedy and menacing Western counterparts, dragons in Chinese culture are highly esteemed, symbolizing achievement, authority, bravery, and prosperity. This symbolism explains why the dragons are able to teach a more pure form of firebending, and why eventually Zuko is accompanied by a dragon as Fire Lord later. Because these dragons represent virtue, and the blessings and prosperity associated with it. This is also the case for the Lion Turtle a mysterious, grand, and ancient creature, which teaches Aang to control the very life energy of another by having an unbendable spirit himself. The lion turtle, visually, is a faithful recreation of a bishi, another Chinese mythical creature and technically type of dragon whose unwavering nature sees it featured on statues and as a guardian of tombs memorials, and other important and sacred sites. Other creatures, such as those of the spirit world, draw influence from Japan's Shinto tradition, where spirits will serve as personifications of or guardians of certain areas, such as the forest guardian and panda spirit Heibai. The spirit's insistence on respect and harmony in humans' interactions with the world also present traditional Shinto values. Yet, the most direct mythological parallel in Avatar The Last Airbender comes from one of the series' most beautiful moments, at the climax of Book One. Fans of the show are likely to remember Yue, the girl whose life was saved in infancy by the spirit of the moon, and how, when the moon spirit was killed, by the Fire Nation Admiral Zhao, Yue returned the gift of life that the spirit had given her, sacrificing herself to become the spirit of the moon. And while Yue's sacrifice and metamorphosis is unique in the world of Avatar, she does have a parallel in our world, 
in the Chinese story of Chang'e. Every autumn, the story is told throughout China of the archer Hu Yi and his wife Chang'e, how in ancient times ten suns surrounded the earth, not just one, making it far too hot for life. So Hu Yi used his bow to shoot down nine of them and was rewarded with a potion for everlasting life. A potion which he would never take, as neither he nor his spouse Chang'e wished to live in heaven with the others stuck on earth. And yet the story goes on to tell how when Hu Yi was away, a bandit came to steal the potion, and how Chang'e, refusing to allow the thief to take it, took the potion herself. She had no choice but to leave her husband and ascend to the heavens. Yet, she did have the choice of where to make her heavenly home. So Chang'e went to the place where she could be closest to her husband, even if it could no longer be in this world, living on as and becoming the goddess of the moon. My first girlfriend turned into the moon. That's rough, buddy. Just as Yue's presence carried on in Avatar, appearing to help the protagonists later in the series, likewise Chang'e lives on today as the namesake of China's lunar program. While any single essay can only hope to touch on some of the numerous themes in a work as deep as Avatar The Last Airbender, this piece gives a look at the series' mythological and cultural roots. Through its vocabulary, religious parallels, use of real-world martial arts and practices, and adoption of mythical creatures and themes, Avatar creates a world which feels as deep and complex as our own, due to its strong foundations in our reality. Like the best stories, it communicates deep themes through its symbolism. By presenting its world through the language and symbols of our own, Avatar The Last Airbender is able to help us appreciate both its cultures and our own even more. Thank you so much for joining. This video, our first modern mythos, is a special celebration because we have reached 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or another podcast streaming app, go ahead and uh, check out the YouTube video so you can see accompanying visuals from the series with this episode. That's online and available at www.mythosandlogos.net. I really am excited to hear your thoughts on this, and also excited to let you know that very soon will be our 1,000 subscriber question and answer. I'm working on that as we speak, so if you have any questions you'd like to ask and try and get it in at the last minute, that comment section is going to be a good chance. I appreciate so much this wonderful journey that we're on, and hope to see you next time.